Yeah, Saturdays in the gong, live from Wollongong Golf Club. Saturdays, Saturday mornings are always all right here, Matt Campbell. I'll tell you what, it's a cracker day again here at Wollongong Golf Club. And I played here twice during the week, just quietly, yeah. and played okay. So, yeah. yeah, hitting them nicely. No hole-in-ones? No hole-in-ones. Yeah, no. we're going to get across that, we'll get later, to that later. later on. Uh, Shell Harbour's Travis Smythe, flush one on 17 at his first major at Royal Liverpool there overnight. We'll be talking about that later. What a feast of sport we've had. NRL, the Dragons got a win and edged themselves away from a spoon. We might be cooked in the cricket. That's a bit of an issue. But the Women's World Cup is absolutely red hot. The action's been fantastic, including the Matildas kicking off with a, well, a tight and nervy 1-0 win over Ireland. Good morning to you. I'm Tim Barrow, the Illawarra Mercury Sports Editor. As I introduce Matt Campbell, the Illawarra Hawks General Manager of Basketball. And thanks to our sponsors, Wollongong City Motors. Visit them for a test drive today. Impact Garage Doors, impacting homes for 20 years at Impact Garage Doors doors.com.au and the Illawarra Mercury. Subscribe at illawarramercury.com.au Where have you landed this week in terms of sport, Matt? Because particularly on Thursday night, gee, I had TVs and eyeballs everywhere. Yeah, totally. I'm with you. I, I was just watching everything that was on. It was great. Um, obviously, the Matildas, um, what a fantastic start to the uh, to the World Cup from their point of view. I watched the Spoon game versus the Dragons <laughs> and it lived yeah, up yeah. to the hype of being one of the worst games I reckon I've seen yep. of NRL. Um, it was set up. I, I thought the teams were setting themselves up for quite a good game, but that capitulated into really a rubbish um, sort of first-grade uh, debacle, I thought, from both teams. I didn't see a lot out of uh, f- from the way they're playing the game and, and any hunger out of both teams. I, I thought it was pretty disappointing. Yeah, it was a desperation sort of scrap, wasn't it? I mm. mean, it was a, a game where both teams obviously know their season's over, but, you know, one team is going to end up with the spoon unless the dogs really fall off as well. Mm. I just can't see the Tigers getting enough wins to, to even pull away from that. So we'll be talking NRL with the captain of the Saturdays in the gong ship, Matt Russell, after 8.30. But today's show is a big celebration of women's sport. We're going to have Julie Porter, the rules original Matilda, on the show after 8.20. She was up there at Thursday's game against Ireland. They've done a really good job of gathering all the former Matildas players to come together as part of this celebration of the World Cup. They've done a fantastic job with that, so we'll be talking with her. And also after 9 o'clock, Tasha Gale, one of the pioneers of women's rugby league. We'll be talking to her as the NRLW season kicks off. But for now, the Illawarra Mercury's Jordan Warren joins us on the line. Now, Jordan was covering the game for the Mercury up there in Sydney on Thursday night. Good morning to you, Jordan. Yeah, morning, boys. Thanks for having me. Hello, mate. Before we get to the game, I guess just describe the atmosphere of Thursday night's game. I mean, there's been a lot of build-up, a lot of expectation or anticipation on what the Matildas could produce first up. Obviously, it was a really uh, sort of nervy finish. They had to do a fair bit of defending and a physical island sort of struggled to let uh, Australia get into their rhythm, particularly without Sam Kerr. But what what was the environment? What was the atmosphere like? Oh, yeah, the atmosphere was absolutely sensational, like nothing short of what you'd expect from a, a FIFA Women's World Cup or a, any World Cup opener. It was just, it really hit home when I was getting to the stadium and I was really excited already, but when I got to the ground and, and about half an hour before kickoff, I actually walked out to the uh, to see the field and the crowd was filling up really quickly and then the actual official FIFA ceremony kicked off that, you know, I've watched, like I've watched the, probably 10 times 
uh, in the men's and women's World Cups on TV over the years, but to actually see the FIFA ceremony live just before kickoff, it really gave you goosebumps. And then the national anthems played in front of 80,000 people. It was absolutely sensational. But yeah, you're right. In, in terms of the game itself, it was it was not the Matildas' best performance, or you'd hope it's not their best performance of this World Cup, but it was sort of that uh, that game that they needed to get those nerves out of the way. You could see in that first 45 that they were really, really struggling with that with that low block that Ireland had that, uh, with a back five that they really were looking to slow the game down, the Irish, and it did work for a, for a period of time. But luckily for Australia, that penalty in the second half, early in the second half, got their first goal, meaning that Ireland had to open up. And they nearly did score in the end, especially in the 96th minute. There was a very uh, <laughs> intense heart-and-mouth moment that, uh, Mackenzie Arnold, the Matildas goalkeeper, had to palm away. But yeah, no, it was a successful night altogether, considering that, yeah, their captain, Sam Kerr, was out. And I thought that, yeah, you're exactly right, Baz. I thought they did struggle at times. Uh, missing Sam, it was, of course, a couple of Illawarra products, or a former Illawarra Stingrays, Caitlin Ford and Mary Fowler up top. And they did struggle to get into the game quite a bit without Sam. So, yeah, uh, obviously she misses the next game against Nigeria, but hopefully she's back for that Canada game, the last one in, in the group stage. Yeah, Jordan, you mentioned about the nerves in it. It clearly was that early in the game, I thought. But I think the game plan, like you said, from Ireland really really stifled the attacking ability from, from the Matildas. And I was I was actually like they were a little bit scared to to maybe punch through for the counter-attack. Because obviously Ireland really fast out there on the on the wings. And, you know, was that part of it, you think? They think they were just a little bit concerned about that, that counter that um, Ireland seemed to be able to throw? Yeah, well, that was definitely Ireland's plan going into the Cup. It was no secret that Ireland were going to try and master the dark arts of football in terms of, of winning the, the one-on-one battles and slowing down the play because that's the only way they were going to stop the Matildas. And, yeah, like I said, it kind of nearly did happen. But, of course, um, with us scoring that first goal in, in early in the second half really put a dampener on their plan. But, yeah, I definitely think that the Matildas, in terms of their game plan, they, they are usually a side that that like to go through the middle. They also like to use the flanks. But, of course, when, when Sam Kerr is fit, it's Caitlin Ford and Sam Kerr up front, and, and they're in the middle of the park. So they're, uh, the players in the midfield and the defence are always looking for, for Sam and, and Caitlin, more so looking for Sam so that Caitlin can run off, or even it works both ways. But, but uh, yeah, definitely trying to go through the middle. But, yeah, the other night, you could definitely see, because Ireland was so compact in that middle of, middle of the park and at the defence, there was a lot of long balls, particularly in that first half. You had Claire Hunt and Alana Kennedy because they had no other option. They had to play a lot of long balls forward. And, and of course, Mary Fowler is not really known for that as part of her game. She's definitely a ball on the ground, a skillful player. She's not one to, to win headed in the air. So, yeah, it was definitely a game plan that almost worked for, for uh, Ireland. But coming into the Nigeria game, I think with Ireland, Nigeria and Canada, they're three completely different sides. So I think that we're not going to see anything like uh, what we saw from Ireland, from Nigeria, they're going to be all out attack there. They're going to come out and try and win that game from the off against Australia in Brisbane on the on the 27th. So, yeah, I think it'll be completely different. But, yeah, definitely if the, if the Matildas come up against a team like Ireland uh, or play like Ireland again in this World Cup, they, they need another answer because, yeah, they, they were lucky to get, it, get it the uh, three points with that penalty in the end. Well, let's capture the moment because it was nil all. Australia were looking to find a way. And then from the spot, Steph Catley, she was cool as she could be. It's Courtney Vine. Centres it again. Fowler, long ball forward. Rasso goes to ground. Penalty. <laughs> Hayley Rasso was caught up among the defenders. She hits the grounds. And the referee, Adina Alves, points to the penalty spot. It'll be her left foot against Courtney Brosnan in goals for Ireland. Catley steps up, right down the middle for Australia. 
and Stadium Australia has never been noisier. Yeah, as much as it wasn't the greatest performance, that moment really now belongs with some of Tim Cahill's finest mm. moments in a, in a Socceroos shirt, just to get that opening goal on home soil, then secure the three points. And given that Nigeria and Canada did draw Australia now, obviously in the box seat, to top the group. Now, you've talked about um, not only Caitlin Ford, but also Mary Fowler leading the line up there in uh, Sam Kerr's absence now. I know you spoke to Mary Fowler about the expectation and sort of handling the pressure uh, without uh, Sam Kerr there. I thought Caitlin Ford really worked hard to get into the game. She she was down that left flank in the first half and did a lot of work. In, in the second half, she really troubled often on the right. She troubled the uh, Irish defence and just had a couple of moments where she almost sort of broke them open. But a really proud moment for Illawarra football that uh, Shell Harbour junior Caitlin Ford, who's obviously an Arsenal superstar now, but also a former Illawarra Stingrays junior in Mary Fowler and it plays for the Mighty Man City over in the English Premier League. You know, I mean, to have two Illawarra products uh, now in terms of the, you know, the leading threats for the Matildas in Sam Kerr's absence. So an amazing moment, Jordan. Yeah, it was, it was a sensational moment when I saw the lineup, and of course everyone was looking at Sam Kerr's absence, which of course is the obvious one, and I was too, but... Then I next noticed that it was Caitlin Ford and Mary Fowler starting next to each other, and I just thought, wow, that's a, an absolutely sensational moment for Illawarra football, and yeah, well-deserved, because, of course, Caitlin, other than, other than Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford has been one of the Matildas' best for, for a little while now, and Mary's still 20 years of age. She struggled for minutes with her club at Man City, but every time she plays for the Matildas, she, she's absolutely sensational. We saw her in that Brant send-off game last week. She came off the bench to score that winner, and... And she scored a, a crucial goals in a Matilda's career already. She scored against Canada in a friendly in Sydney last season. And, yeah, and she was crucial the other night. Of course, Caitlin and Mary, like I said before, did struggle to get in that game. But I agree with you, Baz. I thought that, that especially Caitlin, there was a number of times where she almost beat that last defender. But just because she was marked so heavily, I felt like Caitlin in particular had about four defenders on her each time. And, and she nearly got through that last defender, but just couldn't on the night. So, yeah, hopefully in the next game and the games in the in the rest of the tournament, that won't be the case. But, yeah, and it was the same with Mary, too. There was one moment with Mary in the middle of a pass where she could have played the easy pass to Courtney Vine to set her away, and, and she turned back, which maybe was a little bit of immaturity. But then from there, she's turned about four defenders and got away from it anyway. So got away from them anyway. So it just kind of shows the, the, uh, the raw talent that, that um, the Matildas have on their hands with Mary. We shouldn't forget too, Matt Campbell, that Argentina, who won the Men's World Cup, they actually lost their first game to, to Saudi Arabia when we thought that, you know, the the dream of Lionel Messi winning mm. a World Cup was all but ruined in that first game. So, you know, as much as there's a little bit of frustration uh, and, you know, maybe they just did ha struggle to handle the uh, the physicality of Ireland on one hand, but also the expectation of the occasion as well, you know... It, they're now, if they can beat Nigeria, they're basically through uh, with a game against Canada to come. So, you know, as much as there's plenty of growth to, to come now for the Matildas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on the money. I think obviously the nerves and and, and the probably the pressure of not having Sam Kerr. We forget that, you know, she does demand so much attention when she's out there on the field. And, um, you know, that's what you talked about with Caitlin. I think she had, like, had plenty of opportunities with the ball, but like you said, she was, she was marked very heavily. And I think Sam Kerr takes that pressure away, allows for the Fowlers and the, uh, and the 
um, forwards to be able to get a bit of space. I, I did think we were a bit gun-shy, to be honest. I did think we lacked that ability to be just fire hard on the goals, which I think Kerr does. Uh, I thought there were some opportunities. I thought both Sam Kerr and um, Fowler had an opportunity, as well as a couple of other girls. I think they tiptoed around it, just hoping for someone else to do it. Now, I think that is the pressure of being in the World Cup on your home soil. I think 80,000 people screaming you on. Um, I, I, I thought it was a really well-rounded game. I thought they were tentative, but they did enough to win against a team that was very dangerous. And all the pre and the lead-up to it was always talking about this was a danger game for, for the Matildas. And I think they handled it well. Um, they did what they had to do. Um, they, they, they withstood a barrage late in the game, um, which I think will really help them later on in the tournament. What was the field, Jordan, after the game? Uh, you know, Tony Gustafsson seems to really play his cards to his chest in terms of what's happening with Sam Kerr and, and what impact she will actually have on the tournament. What was, a fee- what was the feel after the game around the group at the ground? Yeah, it's funny you say that Tony Gustafsson plays his cards close to his chest because after the game, a, a journalist in the media centre asked him, so you sat here yesterday with Sam Kerr and you knew she was going to be out of the game and, and, and you didn't say anything anyway. And he just replied with a blunt, yep. And it was like just that typical. He knew that he, he knew that Sam was going to be out and he just didn't want to put that extra pressure on the side 24 hours out from the game. And yeah, he does definitely play his cards close to his chest. And yeah, I, I think that they did miss Sam and hopefully she comes back soon. But uh, Steph Catley was speaking after the game also and she said that just how influential Sam was off the field as well. She, she had a lot to say, especially in that half-time uh, break when it was nil all and the Matildas couldn't really get that final pass through and they were struggling with their, with their touches and, and breaking down Ireland. So, yeah, Sam obviously is best on the field, but, she don't, but don't underestimate her ability off the field as well. Of course, she's one of the best players in the world. She's been around, around the traps and she's done a lot and she would be extremely inspirational for that Matildas team. But, yeah, I, I think that the better, the sooner that she comes back is the better. But, yeah, you just hope that she's not missing too many games. Obviously, she's definitely missing the Nigeria one. And then uh, against Canada in that last game, with that result yesterday with uh, Nigeria and Canada having a nil-all draw, who, who knows what Canada need to do in that last game. So, yeah, and especially with uh, calf injuries, they're a little bit uh, fickly. You just don't know when they're actually right. So if the Matildas are safe with that last group stage uh, game to go against Canada, I wouldn't expect to see Sam. But then there's a, I think there's close to a two-week break for that round of 16 if we make it. I think it's on August 7. So that should give our Sam Kerr enough time, you would hope, to be able to, to be fit and firing for the knockout stages. Jordan, just quickly, while we've got you, Illawarra Premier League, Helensburg 1 defeated Cringilla 0 uh, overnight. We've got Olympic and Coromel today, Tarawana and Bulleye, Albion Park and Balambi and South Coast and Port Kembla tomorrow, Coniston and Wollongong United uh, in the National uh, New South Wales National Premier League. Wollongong Wolves play the Sydney FC NPL team at Wynn Stadium at 3 o'clock tomorrow and the Stingrays. Uh, against Sydney Uni at Macedonia Park at 5 o'clock in the women's competition. What's your pick of the weekend action? Yeah, well, I had a pick of the weekend action. Definitely that Sunday game, uh, Coniston against Wollongong United is going to be an absolute cracker in terms of the top five. But just with that result last night, Baz, with Helensburg beating Fringilla, that, that was a massive result. And Helensburg is still just in that finals run. But what it does mean is Albion Park are playing first place to Albion Park, who are six points ahead of Fringilla, are playing last place for Lambie, who haven't won a game this season. So if you have in Park win today, they can go nine points clear with three games to go. And, and they haven't mathematically won it because of goal difference, but you can all but pretty much secure that Albion Park are going to pick up the Premier's plate. So, yeah, 
I'd definitely say it'd be a good place to be at Perry Reserve if you're an Albion Park White Eagles fan. Jordan, appreciate your time. Look forward to all your local football and Matildas coverage in the Illawarra Mercury. You can subscribe at illawarramercury.com.au. We'll head to a break. We're going to talk to former Matilda Julie Porter. but beautiful Saturday morning live from Wollongong Golf Club. Good morning to you, Matty Campbell. That's the official Women's World Cup song. Mm. Benny and Mallrats do it again, so you'll be hearing plenty of that over the next couple of weeks. I don't mind it. A little bit old school, but it's quite nice. Yeah, got a bit of a beat about it. So we've been talking Matildas in the first half hour, and it's an absolute pleasure to have Matildas officially number 20 in order, one of the pioneers of Australian women's football came through the Thoreau Junior system, but was up there on Thursday night. Uh, good morning to you, Julie Porter. It must just have been such a fantastic moment uh, to savour that, being at the ground on Thursday in the 1-0 win against Ireland. Oh, good morning, guys. Look, it was uh, it was a privilege, absolute privilege to be there. Um, a World Cup on home soil, a dream come true, a dream come true. Tell us about the event itself. I mean, I was sort of listening yesterday on some of the coverage about that they've gone to great lengths to sort of bring uh, the, the former Matildas together, obviously from, from different eras. No doubt there'd be some faces that you wouldn't have seen for some time. Oh, look, very much so. I mean, Football Association, you know, Soccer Australia are to be congratulated. Um, wonderful events put on, pre-game. Uh, got to catch up with probably... 200 people that I'd not seen for 40 years, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And, that, yeah, it's a um, special, special day, special night. What What was the overriding emotion within the group, just given that women's football, I mean, there's a way to go in terms of, um, you know, pay parity and, and some of the conditions within the game? Oh, a- uh, absolutely. But... I mean, you know, it... Um, the overriding, we would all have loved to have been there now, but we understood our place in history, and it was a privilege to be recognised as the pioneers. Um, yes, of course, we'd all love to be there now, but um, no, no, it's uh, um, nice to see where it's gotten to, and, and yes, of course, somebody has to be the forerunners of everything, and um, it was just a pleasure, a pleasure to see the whole thing. And no doubt a, a sense of pride along the way. We talked about uh, Shell Harbour junior Caitlin Ford, who now is a, a superstar within the English Premier League at Arsenal, just in terms of yes. the professionalism of the game now. Oh, yes. It's, um, it's, it's great to see where it is. And, and given uh, that so many of the professional leagues and that have, have backed women's football over the past few decades, you know, it's, um, it's amazing to all of us to see that. But, um, you know, indeed, this World Cup on the home soil is is just great to see. Yeah, Julie, so, um, I mean, like, I could only imagine the anticipation from the from the ex-Matildas that were there. And, and <laughs> to speak to me about, like, what it was like in the room, uh, especially when we, when we scored the goal. Was everyone oh, nervous? Were they nervous for the new group? Um, 
I wouldn't say nervous, no. I the the, the anticipation was, was palpable, you know. Everybody was very excited, very excited because they we all believe that Australia have a very good side. A very good side, so um but uh, yeah, the excitement uh, it was just a, such a buzz to to be in that room and and then we went over to the ground and you know all sitting together to watch this unfold it was just amazing and the buzz amongst the group was incredible incredible now julie you've got the honor of having the women's cup competition named after you down here obviously with your your standing as a pioneer uh within the women's game just tell us a bit about your your background and sort of how you came through to play uh through the Thoreau juniors and then sort of uh make your way you know to be able to play for australia sure sure um i i played a bit of junior sport bit, bit of soccer there with Thoreau, but it, it really wasn't allowed to as a girl so at um 10 or 12 i had to go and do other things, so I played netball and whatever. And then 1978, I was in year 11 and heard about some women's football training going on at Bulli. So toddled off to that and, um, yeah, things progressed from there in the local competition and uh, we actually put a representative side from down here in a, a Friday night competition in Sydney and, um, you know, recognition from people up there and, you know, got picked in a state side in 1980 and, yeah, uh, an Australian squad, but we did nothing that year. And then the very next year, um, yeah, New South Wales again and um, in the Australian side and went to New Zealand for our first tour. So wonderful, wonderful memories. Wonderful. And but, obviously... Uh, pardon? So, sorry, obviously a, a, a sorry. vital three points for the Matildas to... To open the tournament, you've got Nigeria uh, in Brisbane on Thursday before they meet Canada. You, you can take confidence now that Australia might even be able to, to top the group and, and progress through in style even without Sam Kerr. Uh, I'm always a bit reticent to say that. Uh, World <laughs> Cups are a very different kettle of fish to your, your normal competitions. Um, yeah. And, you know, Nigeria will be no walkover, as will Canada. Canada will be a very difficult team. But, you know, um, as I say, anything can happen in the World Cup. But one would like to see Australia progress, of course, of course. But um, a good result without without Sam Kerr. Uh, as they say, you know, it's only one player, but happens to be one of the best in the world. Um, and I, I really felt sorry for her, actually. I felt really, really sorry for her. The biggest moment awaited her, and... Unfortunately, that happened. Yeah, but you could see she was quite emotional progressing. there. Oh, it was, uh, yes, quite sad to watch. Uh, it did fail. And all of us did. All of us did. Because we understood what a big moment it was. Um, Ju- yes. Julie, uh, look, uh, we really appreciate your time here this morning. I think it's just fantastic that, uh, you know, your role and, and the pioneering Matilda's role uh, within Australian football has been recognised for this tournament. It's just amazing to see the standing and the scale of the Women's World Cup, not only, um, you know, as a tournament itself, but also to be played in Australia and New Zealand. Appreciate your time this morning. We're going to head to the news. We'll be back talking rugby league with Matty Russell.
I'm all out of faith. This mm. is how I feel. Matt Campbell, I think there was a bit of that sentiment on Thursday night. The Dragons against the Tigers. Both well out of the finals race, but the Dragons got the much-needed points just for a bit of confidence as much as anything else. I mean, Shane Flanagan is no doubt... Uh, watching very closely about uh, form, selection, sure. where he shapes the squad for next year. So there's still plenty to play for there for the Dragons squad. The Tigers have got a whole other set of issues uh, going on off the field, obviously. So the Dragons did enough. So while we were sitting there enthralled with um, the, well, the Matildas, with the Matildas kicking off. Also, the Ashes was on at the same time. Mm -hmm. The captain of the Saturdays in the gong was sideline down at Wynn Stadium for the spoon-off as the Dragons <laughs> beat the Tigers. Matty Russell, good morning to you. <clears throat> good morning, men. Where would you rather be? Wynn Stadium, sitting sideline, looking out over the Wollongong Ocean <laughs> and seeing the Dragons and the Tigers deliver just one second-half try combined. It was a good try, thanks to Lacto Max, but just one... Second half try. There might have been a few people in the crowd nursing phones and iPads looking at the Matildas and the Ashes. But I'm sure as a whole, we were all absolutely glued to the gripping rugby league theatre unfolding in front of us. I was going to say, I reckon you were sideline there with the, the phone <laughs> playing the Matildas game, at least in fits and spurts between, uh, between your call. I, I want to say off the bat, though, Zach Lomax back on the right-hand side. Now, I know he's got the Gidley flick, which can sometimes be a bit of a... Uh, can create an error here and there, but it's also a lethal weapon. And, I mean, the fact that he was shifted to the left-hand side, I just think it's embarrassing looking back mm -hmm. at that now. Uh, I know there weren't a hell of a lot of highlights from that on uh, from Thursday night, but, uh, you know, Zach Lomax has got a fair bit of, to play for in terms of Shane Flanagan coming in next year, Matt. Absolutely. There's been rumblings that he wouldn't be at the Dragons long-term. Let's remember that not so long ago, he was right on the cusp of origin selection, but... His form and his attitude have dipped in recent times, but it seems like something all of a sudden has clicked for Zach, whether it's a bit of clarity going forwards, whether there's been conversations behind the scenes that we don't know about. But his last two games have been dynamic. He was fantastic against the Raiders, huge run metres, and the same the other night against the Tigers. But for me, it's his willingness to get involved. He just looks like a happy footballer. And a happy footballer loaded with those skills produces games like he produced the other night. If they don't have Zach Lomax the other night, there's a big chance the Dragons don't win. And for the Dragons right now, in fact, for any team that's struggling, you want your fans to have reason for hope. And there haven't been a lot of them for the Red V members in 2023. But Zach Lomax is, is one area of positivity looking forward to 2024 when Shane Flanagan arrives, when Dean Young arrives, when some high performance uh, team staff arrive. You know, Zach Lomax, you would hope can have a big finish to this season and springboard into a bigger and better 2024. I don't disagree with you, Matty. And I, I was actually pretty critical of Lomax throughout this little period where it's been you know, controversial on the sidelines. But, I mean, one of the things I took from the other night that I did like about it was early in the game, when the game was still, you know, thereabouts or was thereabouts the whole time, it was the hard stuff that he did. He was, you know picking up the ball, taking it out of the 10-metre line when the, when there was a good chase. And uh, some of that stuff that I thought, right, OK, he's, he's getting into the trenches, he's doing the hard yards, he's trying to work his way into 
to, to playing normal football and get away from the noise that's outside it. Now, and, it, and from a rugby league point of view, I thought the game was awful, to be honest. I just, I, I, I looked at the level. I thought it was two teams that were both playing for, they actually look like they're playing for contracts. Um, and you could see the pressure building on both teams. And now that obviously affects them. They, you know, they're down the bottom of the ladder. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they played like two teams playing off of the spoon. Yeah, there were a number of players out there, no doubt, playing for their future and with contracts in mind. Dane Laurie, for one, he signed a one-year deal with the Penrith Panthers, but I thought he was uh, among the Tigers' best, maybe the Tigers' best the other night. Tyrell Sloan continues his development for the Dragons. We know Jack DeBellin has been rock solid. I thought Mika Ravalawa was, uh, was brave to stay out there. I thought he was coming off for sure. He was on one leg for more than 15 minutes back into the game, yet he was in the right spot to take that pass from... Lomax and score what turned out to be the winning try, the only try of the second half. So, you know, scratch the surface, there are some positives, unfortunately, for the Tigers. Only three wins, and, and now they lose their best player from the other night, Dane Laurie. They still don't have a six and seven uh, bedded down for, for next year. Um, so they are really dark days for West Tigers at the moment, aren't they? They need some big signings. I know the Fainu brothers bring potential, but they come at a price. You know, a four-year deal... 500000 bucks per season, each of them. They're still to prove that they are these potential stars that everyone says they are. So, yeah, dark days for the Tigers. They need wins. They need signatures. They need some good news, don't they, desperately? The thing with the Tigers is, is that they're not at the rock bottom of two or three years. They're at rock bottom again mm. of eight, 10, 12 years. It's, it's an ongoing cycle that they can't really seem to lift themselves out of. Now, the Dragons... They haven't had too many bright spots in the past 10 years as well. But, you know, Paul McGregor got them to a finals. Gareth Whitton mm-hmm. was a key part of that. Uh, they, they were on an, an upward trend. Now, they've had their issues there. And that, this was one question I was going to throw open to both of you. Who plays fullback for the Dragons next year? So, Cody Ramsey's obviously had his uh, health issues. Um, he's been out for the season. Uh, hopefully, he will come back for next year. Tyrell Sloan, in my book, has by no way gone anywhere near locking down mm-hmm. the number. We're almost back in Matt Dufty territory yeah, in terms of where his level is at. He's a good player when mm. he's on and when he's with the ball, but there's a lot of other issues there. And then do we just count Zach Lomax out as a fullback? Is right centre? Is he locked in Matt Russell? Who would wear the number one jersey next year? Well, you said it earlier in the conversation, you know, the move from Zach Lomax over to the other side of the field at the start of the year was a dreadful decision in hindsight. Did not work at all. Uh, if he's proving himself at the back end of this season as a right centre, then then leave him there and make that position uh, a target area in attack and, and concentrate on getting the best out of Zach. Now, I agree that Tyrell Sloan has a hell of a lot of development still to go. That's why Anthony Griffin didn't play him much in first grade last year. He needs to fill out. He needs to apply some defensive metal, uh, desperately so. He could probably learn a little bit from what Jareen Buller has done early in his career in terms of uh, defensive willingness. But I'd put him with a good fullback. He seems like an intelligent, mature, willing student. I'd put him with a good fullback. I'd preach defence, defence, defence to him, knowing that the attack will flow from all that. And I would persist with Tyrell Sloan at fullback. The glimpses he's given us are enough for me to say, this bloke can be a fullback. Let's just make sure we, we coach him and get that defence that we all crave into his game. 
some massive calls to come for Shane Flanagan. I don't think there's a, a quick fix, particularly if Ben Hunt is on his way out. Matty, I'm going to go to a break because we need plenty of time to discuss Matt Russell's set of six. In the 75th minute, Reynolds, Walsh with it, Stags, Stags is away, support there, Reynolds back inside, the former revenue, now a Bronco, puts the knife, twists the knife, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, the Broncos, 36, defeated the Rabbitohs, 20. The Rabbitohs, well, they've still got a job to do to make the top eight. The other game, the Warriors, 21. What a thriller, beating the Raiders with a field goal. Sean Johnson sealing it, 21-20. Matt Russell, have the Broncos convinced you that they can win the Premiership? Absolutely, but I'm also not discounting South Sydney after last night. I know that they were without Latrell Mitchell. He will help when he returns. I also think their stats, they can improve on them. Massively, I know Jason Dimitri was pulling no punches in the post-match media conference, but to me, uh, they can be a hell of a lot better than they were last night. And if they get into the finals, that's a big if. If they get into the finals, I know they can challenge Brisbane in the big games, even after last night. When it comes to Sean Johnson, that was the 17th field goal of his career. Uh, last year, he kicked a couple of golden point field goals to win against North Queensland and against the Raiders. He's done it again against the Green Machine. What about the form of Sean Johnson? What about the form of the Warriors having taken down Cronulla and now Canberra? I like what they said in commentary last night. Forget about aiming for the top four. The Warriors should be aiming for the top two now. And if they finish top two, then all of a sudden they're looking at multiple home finals and they'll be hard to toss over there. So exciting times for the Warriors. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be... A t I know the Rabbitohs have got plenty of weapons, but I wouldn't want to be a team outside the top four, just given you would likely have a trip to either New Zealand, uh, Brisbane or Melbourne, or to meet uh, Premier's Penrith uh, in that top four. Now, we're going to have to go with a lightning round of Matty Russell's set of six. What did you come up with? Well, a real quick one, a warm-up question. How long does Marty Tapau get for that knee lift uh, last night under the sternum of Campbell Graham? Yeah, I think there'll be a few weeks in I that. I do too. Um, you looked at Regan Campbell-Gillard mm. uh, dropping the knees in that other I thought tackle it was bad. There and, Yeah, I don't think it looked great. So where, where do we land, uh, Matty? Three or four? Well, well, I'm saying dangerous contact, uh, grade three, third offence. He's looking at, I reckon, five matches, downgraded yeah. to four with an early plea. He'll only play one more game this season because the Broncos have the bye. It might be referred, which could mean it'd be a heavier punishment above that. We'll wait till see. What happens when the match review committee sheet comes out shortly? Now, boys, Reese Walsh, Katoni Staggs, uh, their breathtaking backflip celebrations as part of Try July. Have you two? When was the last time either of you did a backflip? <laughs> Matt That's Campbell. funny. I think when on, I bungee jumped, I bungee jumped in the Gold Coast about ten years ago, and I think I backflipped. Then does that count? <laughs> I tell you what, I struggle. I struggle no. to do a handstand, let alone a backflip. <laughs> I did, a, I did a backflip in Bali off a table as a much younger version of Matt Russell. Got my feet stuck in a fishing net hanging as decoration on the roof, fell on the head and broke my hand. Haven't done one thing. Now, boys, AJ Brimson has lost his past four against the Roosters and been quiet. James Tedesco won his past six against the Titans and been really good. Which man are you full-backing to have the best game today? 
Uh, I'm going with AJ Brimson. I just think the Roosters are just about shot. I think the Titans will be fired up after two probably dud results that they've had the last couple of weeks. They've been on the wrong side of ref calls. I'm going the other way. I'm going Tedesco. I think he needs to show a little bit, and I think the Roosters will get up. That game starts Super Saturday on Fox League. Then Newcastle, Melbourne. Now, the Storm have won their last 11 against Newcastle. The last nine (laughs) by double figures. So what do you say to that? Stats, damn statistics, or numbers don't lie? Oh, Storm easily. Yeah. That's a (laughs) no-brainer. Numbers don't lie. Melbourne headed for 12 in a row against Newcastle, (laughs) according to my learned colleague. Now, Parramatta have no Regan Campbell-Gillard or Micah Sebo for the next four games, in which time they travel to North Queensland, Melbourne and Brisbane. They have St George Illawarra at home. How many do the Eels win over the next month against the Cowboys, the Storm, the Broncos and the Dragons? Zero. I don't even think they beat the Dragons. That's how bad they're going to (laughs) go. They'll beat the Dragons and I think they'll miss out on the eight. Okay, Nathan Cleary, his comeback game today. Penrith are conceding fewer than 13 points per game. The Dogs are conceding more than 30 points per game. (laughs) So, Baz, give me a margin when the Doggies play the Panthers. Oh, pray. Pray for everything we've got. Pray for a rain. I, I hope Viliami Kikau just loads all 12 players up on his back and takes them on. I'm, I'm saying it, you're going to be just like the Aussies in the cricket. You've got to pray for something to happen so that it's not a 50-point <laughs> loss to the doggies. Okay, Cronulla, Cronulla one win against current top eight teams. I've played seven games against top eight teams. They are nine from ten against bottom eight teams. So Manly in 11th are this week's opposition. Do the Sharks win, yes or no, given they bash up their flat track bullies, they beat the bottom eight teams? I'm saying no. I thought they were soft against the Warriors last week. There are real questions. But if they can't aim up this week, then maybe the Eels will get a spot by default. Yeah, I think they'll aim up. I think uh, I think Fitzy will be all over them. And I, think, um, I think they'll just get up. I don't think they're going to be great, but I think they're on the march again. Boys, we've got an attacking kick into the corner. That's been a fantastic six set of six. We're right on the attacking. We're done. Very good, Matty Russell. You're up on the Gold Coast for the Titans game today. Matt Campbell's been in Las Vegas. I don't know how I miss out on all of these good junkets. So go well calling for Fox today, mate. We'll be back. There's plenty more to come. Saturdays in the Gong. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Oh, yeah, Saturdays in the Gong. Tim Barrow, Matt Campbell, live from Wollongong Golf Club with thanks to Wollongong City Motors. Uh, get in there and test drive a GWM Havel today. Impact Garage Doors, impacting homes for 20 years. Impactgaragedoors.com.au. And the Illawarra Mercury, subscribe at illawarramercury.com.au. We did go through the games. Uh, let's quickly recap today. The Titans take on the Roosters at 3 o'clock up there on the Gold Coast. The Knights against the Storm at 5.30. And then the Cowboys and the Eels Saturday night. Uh, that's up in Townsville. Tomorrow, 2 o'clock, the Panthers with one of the great upsets getting beaten by the Dogs <laughs> and the Sharks up against the Sea Eagles. There's some really, really important games, isn't there, Matt Campbell? So the Sharks and the Sea Eagles. Sea Eagles are probably gone, yep. but they make a late run. Nah, probably not. The Sharks need to win. They need to turn it around. The Cowboys, 
Not saying season on the line just yet, but gee, a win there that breaks the top eight wide open. I reckon you're right. It? Yeah, I reckon both those games. I reckon the Sharks and the Cowboys are the two most important games of the round. Um, and if they're going to be real contenders or at least finals players, they need to win. The Cowboys, this is the thing, and it's similar with the Rabbitohs. We talk about how difficult the top four is going to be to break open, given mm. there might be a trip to New Zealand, Brisbane or Melbourne, as well as Premier's Penrith. So... This is the real challenge now. I mean, history says in the NRL era that you can't win a premiership outside the top four, yet Matt Russell was not willing to count out the Rabbitohs. Yes. And then you've also got the Cowboys who made last year's prelim and weren't far away from a grand final. Do you think they're still open that they can win a premiership? Yeah, I think the Cowboys are. I think that they're building the right momentum right now. I think they started very slow and then they're building that momentum into finals, which I really like. Uh, With the Rabbitohs, I just feel... Uh, Matty Russell said that they've got enough talent. They do, but I just don't think they're building in the right direction. And history has shown you can't just turn it on and turn it off. Well, we're going to be talking more rugby league because after 9 o'clock, we've got one of the pioneers of the women's game, Tasha Gale, joining us as the NRLW season kicks off. We are going to head to the news. This is Saturdays in the Gong. Ah, good morning. We're back Saturdays in the gong. Tim Barrow, Matt Campbell. We've talked plenty of NRL in the first hour, Matty Campbell. Let's talk about the NRLW competition. It kicks off this weekend, including a new-look Dragons heading to Newcastle, the reigning NRLW premiers. Now, just to whet the appetite a bit, we've got a clip from last year's NRLW grand final where the Knights claimed the title. 30 seconds left in the NRLW season. Is a kick from Caitlin Moran, and they've got it. It's a try to Yasmin Clydesdale. Party time in the Hunter. Can you think of a more deserving person to score a try, Salty? We were just touching on the fact that she'd come up with some great plays throughout the game. The last play of the NRLW season. Southwell from the touchline. And almost got there with the celebrations. They can commence for the Newcastle Knights, the 2022 NRLW Premiers. There it is, yeah. Newcastle claiming last year's Premiership. Now, the Dragons are a totally new-look squad this year. A number of stars like Kezi Apps, Keely Davis, they've gone. Uh, Jamie Soward's gone with a new-look spine, uh, Renee Target as, as the hooker. Racine McGregor, the captain and halfback. Tyler Nathan-Wong at 5'8". And the Jet Tegan Berry there at fullback. So, Matty Russell, a bit of optimism in an expanded NRLW competition. I know it's been a tough watch as a Dragons fan in the NRL. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a, it's going to be good. I think um, you know reliving last year's grand final was such a good experience to to see the Knights get up and uh, and win. Um, I'm interested to see how the Dragons going to go. Like it is a new look. Uh, um, I, you know, well, they've lost a bit of talent, but uh, as we've seen with all the teams, the talent emerging from the NRLW has been phenomenal, and I'm just excited for the season to start. Yeah, absolutely. Well, joining us on the line now is uh, a Fox League caller, an expert, one of the pioneers of uh, women's rugby league. Tasha Gale, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen, and what a great day it is to kick off the NRLW season. 
Absolutely. Now, we were just talking about the Dragons, uh, a very new-look squad, a bit of a, a bit of an unknown feel about how they're going to go. Um, what's your expectations uh, of the Dragons? They've lost a, a lot of experience in the off-season, but they've still got plenty of talent there. Yeah, they still have lots of talent. As, as you mentioned earlier, the, the depth of talent coming through the pathway system is absolutely incredible. But, look... Don't doubt the Dragons. Uh, you know, any team that's got uh, Tegan Berry, you know, she's outstanding. Um, Keely Brown is really going to hit her straps uh, this year, I believe. And Ray McGregor, you know, the, the current Dalian medalist in there at Harv. So Cara McGrath-West is fabulous in the forwards, and I think she'll have an absolutely sensational uh, year. It's really up for grabs. The great thing about the NRLW, and again, we talk about the unknown of the Dragons, but there's a bit of an unknown of the competition now that we've expanded to 10 teams and there's been such great growth within the women's competition. You talk about the, the pathway through the Steelers uh, with the New South Wales women's competition going through to complete the pathway uh, with the Dragons. But what can we expect in terms of the, the broader competition? Because there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of change in terms of squads with the new teams coming in. Yeah, sure. It's always hard um, chopping and changing, getting used to a new squad. And in particular, you know, the new franchises, that when teams initially, you know, come into a competition, they don't normally excel. But um, I'm, I'm looking at the team sheets right here and all of them look very, very solid to me. Yeah, just going through the draw. So the Titans take on the Cowboys to kick off the season at 12.50. The Knights then against the Dragons up there in Newcastle. Tonight, the Broncos up against the Roosters on the Sunshine Coast. Parramatta up against the Tigers tomorrow at 12 o'clock. And then the Sharks and the Raiders at 1.50 at Points Bet Stadium. So, I mean... In previous years, we've had those very talented Broncos teams. Uh, the Roosters have been very strong at stages. The Knights uh, won the Premiership. There's been a couple of teams that have been very, very strong and, and hard to beat in the competition. But is there a clear standout or two in terms of where their squad's at? Yeah, look, if you're just looking at them on paper, um, the two standout teams uh, are facing off each other tonight at quarter to eight. You mentioned the Broncos v the Roosters. Now, the Roosters look like the team to beat on paper. But if you cast your minds back, the Roosters look the strongest team on paper in previous seasons, but they fail to just gel and get that going together early. They've only actually won uh, two out of their five round one starts. So um, I think that's definitely match of the round, Broncos v Roosters. The Titans, I think, are a bit of a dark horse. They've got seven Origin representatives in their um, in their squad. So definitely they're, um, they're good to get on, the Titans. Uh, Knights, of course, being the, the current Premiers. Uh, oh, and the Sharks. They've just got a star-studded squad. Matty Sutton can't even get a start. Wow, that's... Um... That is interesting, that, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's hard to, I guess, adjust your squad as you go. Emma Tonegato, her move into 5'8", that'll get her more of the ball there with the Sharks? Yeah, absolutely. And um, the great Nico Hines has been working with Emma Tonegato. As, as we know, he switched from full-back into the halves. And so 
Emma's been learning a great deal um, off Nico and he's been giving her a lot of his time and we'll can't wait to see how that all uh, comes off in the halves for Emma. Yeah, um, absolutely. What about the standard of the NRLW? I mean, we've seen the growth and the expansion of the game. I mean, surely the state of origin needs to go to three games uh, next year, Tasha. I mean, it was a bit of a flat feeling there where Queensland claimed the trophy, uh, but after New South Wales winning the second game, but losing on aggregate. I know. It looked like there was no real winner on the day. Like New South Wales, they were glad they won, but they were sad they didn't get the shield. Broncos got the shield but didn't win on the day. So, yeah, definitely must go to three games. Yeah. Oh, no no doubt at all. I mean, it's um, it's just such a, a an improving product. How, how have you sort of found it as a, a pioneer just moving towards, you know, the ultra sort of now professional uh, setup? You know, is the, is the women's game getting the support it deserves now? Oh, look. They've come a long way, most definitely, but there is still so much more that needs to be done. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for, for where they are, but I think, you know, and I'm proud of where they are, but what I'm most proud of is where they're going to be in, you know, 10 years' time. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think that um, the sport is evolving and the evolution of it now as a sport that you can go and play and you've got a pathway, a genuine pathway to an opportunity to, to, to make a living. And I think from that point of view, you'll see a bit more change. You'll see a bit more professionalism coming through your junior ranks. And with more and more exposure, more and more talent will come through. And I'm really excited this year to see what the expansion of the league does. Not only does it dilute a little bit of the the, the talent sort of the top tier talent but it'll merge you'll have a lot of emerging younger players coming in getting opportunities getting good experience and i'm sure the game will go from from really good quality over the last few years to something exceptional in the next one to two years i reckon the growth in the game is going to be exceptional yeah it's absolutely correct there like every year i think oh can it get better and Yes, it absolutely does. And that's right through the pathway. And the fact that the girls are signing, you know, year-long contracts now, multi-year contracts, that's going to make a, a big difference because the more professional that these girls get um, with all the support staff around them, the better the product they can produce. I mean, I can't wait till they are all 100%. That is their main... They, they don't have to juggle, you know... Uh, jobs outside because then they can focus just on you know their athleticism and the product that they produce out there for us all to watch and it's a nine round competition now Tasha I mean in previous years in the early years when you know four or six team competition if you missed the kick if you missed the jump and dropped a game early it was very difficult to sort of scramble your way I mean you know you still could get into the finals but you really had to build momentum quickly whereas now teams have got the opportunity to build their combinations and and really um, you know find their rhythm yeah absolutely and they've had a had a, um, a longer pre-season as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes as far as all the players playing in their state uh, competitions. Um, that used to be a 17-round uh, competition for the Harvey Norman Women's Premiership. You know, they've cut that back now. Um, they're starting to organise their rugby league calendar a lot better so that the girls can just focus on playing. So where are you uh, calling this weekend, Tasha, as part of the coverage? 
I've got what I think is the match of the round, Broncos-Roosters tonight. And tomorrow I'm, I've got the Sharks and the Raiders, two new franchises. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, really exciting there. And, um, I mean, you know, the Broncos, for instance, Ali Brigginshaw, I mean, you know, if she sort of doesn't go down as the greatest women's footballer of all time, she uh, she certainly will go close. She just keeps on keeping on, doesn't she? She sure does. Uh, she's a dead set legend. Ali Brigginshaw has actually, since the inception of the NRLW in 2018, she has not only run on, but run on and captained all for the same club, 23 games, Ali Brigginshaw, an amazing athlete. And she's teaming up with a new halves partner in Gail Broughton. And oh, i tell you what, I watched those girls play together in the trials and they've already, you know, gelled. They've got it. That's, that's an amazing halves combination. Yeah, and up against the Roosters, uh, the Illawarra's own Keely Davis uh, making her debut for the Roosters in a forward pack uh, that includes uh, Millie Boyle. So uh, plenty of uh, plenty of weaponry there for the Roosters. Yeah, what an engine room the, the Roosters have. Uh, like Keely Davis, every year she's just getting better and better. Like I loved her with the Dragons, but the players got to move to where they've got to move to, and um, her career is just outstanding. And she's only so young. That's it. I think people underestimate that, you know, she did sort of come through. She she can be a real grinding player, but she's also found ways to be a match winner. She's, you know, delivered those subtle little grubber kicks, particularly when Emma Tonegato was running onto them at the, the Dragons. So she sort of can go through the gears. Yeah, she sure can. She's very dangerous, playing in the nine, but a good little boot on her. And, yeah, we've, we've seen... Quite a few tries for the Dragons come off Kelly Davis and her boot. No, absolutely. We'll make sure you catch some of the NRLW action uh, this weekend, including the St George Illawarra Dragons up there in Newcastle at 3.10 this afternoon. It'll all be on Fox Sports and KO. We're going to head to a break. I really appreciate your time, Tasha, and we look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks very much, guys. You're listening to Saturdays in the Gong on SEN Track. Oh, yeah, we're just warming up here at Wollongong Golf Club. The players are all out on the course on a now beautiful Saturday morning with thanks to DWM Havel at Wollongong City Motors. I stumbled on just about every, <laughs> every single word, there. word then, but getting and test drive them today. Also, uh, Impact Garage Doors, impactgaragedoors.com.au and the Illawarra Mercury. Subscribe at illawarramercury.com. Now, we have a couple of technical issues. We haven't got the sound effect this week, but we're still going to play Bang the Gong, the best and the worst of the Illawarra region each week. Matt Campbell, what have you found this week? Well, I've got the best, and it's going to be one of our sponsors, Impact Garage Doors, who have been servicing the Illawarra for 30 years plus. Mm. Um, I'm actually getting a new garage door, and it's not for free, as everyone may think that I'm just (laughs) spooning off them. Um, My door has arrived, and they'll be fitting that next week. So I'm pretty excited about that. And that's my good thing of from the gong. My bad thing of the gong is the plovers in the background. I'm yeah. sure the listeners can hear them. Yeah. Geez, they're annoying at the Wollongong Golf Club at the moment. They are obviously nesting um, and being quite pestful. Yeah, it's a beautiful setting here at Beachside Wollongong Golf Club. But between the bush turkeys and the plovers, mm. it does feel like a Hitchcock movie totally. occasionally. Uh, but it's a lovely Saturday morning. My bang the gong 
is uh, I just want to shout out to some of the volunteers for, for junior and senior sport. Now, I left from Shell Harbour this morning. Flinders Field was already decked out. All the signage, all the goalposts, all, everything was already decked out. It was barely 7 o'clock in the morning. Across the road at Moimba, all the junior soccer fields where my young blokes are playing as we speak were all ready to go. Some of these guys turn up at 6 o'clock, if not earlier in the morning. And, you know... You always need volunteers to run clubs, but they don't get enough credit for the work that they do. Agreed. Now, Mitch Jennings joins us on the line. He's the Illawarra Mercury uh, League and senior sports scribe, among plenty of other talents. Mitch Jennings, have you got to bang the gong? Oh, well, I'll say from the start, Baz, Matt Campbell paying for his own garage door, that'll do me. <laughs> that is absolutely fake news. Oh, geez, I no get a decent get percentage off. <laughs> Oh, mate, you'll, you'll install that and you'll be able to open it with the keys to the city, mate. You know you're a two-time recipient of the award, aren't you? So we'll, uh, you can do that. But I'm going, Baz, I'm going to go in that vein. And forgive me for, for flogging a dead horse, and I'm willing to put this to bed after this week, but I'm banging the gong on the people of the Illawarra and a few people beyond the 13, more than 1,300 that responded to our poll in the Mercury this week. Uh, answering the question, should Alex Falconoski be awarded the keys to the city, a resounding 8388 percent of respondents saying yes it should be done to 16 percent there so i just thought i'd better finish that off because i'll be banging the gong on that all year me and matty <laughs> russell about getting bold keys to the city so the poll is there the numbers are there the people have spoken i'm going to bang the gong on uh, on the people of the illawarra well mate you're right i could actually uh hand over one of my two keys to the city that i have uh, <laughs> to to volk uh, i don't disagree having volk uh, he's such an ambassador for our city and it's funny enough we're talking about banging the gong we also should mention shell harbour in general because of the you know we've got travis Smythe who hit a hole in one overnight shell harbour golfer we've obviously got the the matilda girls that are playing um you know, the sporting mecca, which is the Illawarra, and especially Shell Harbour, I think they're doing a fantastic job down there of really doing junior sport well and building a really good resume for quality athletes coming out of Shell Harbour. What do you do with the second key to the city? Is it like a backup one that you just put in the drawer? <laughs> like, like the backup car? It was a team-based one. He leaves it under the doormat, Simi. He leaves it under the doormat like the rest of it. Or under the pot plant. Well, I think I need to get the pack garage doors involved. Mine, mine squeaks and creaks. I can barely find the key sometimes. Sometimes the remote doesn't work, and he's got a backup key to the city, Mitch Jennings. Yeah, well, that's what could happen. Maybe we're moving in the technological age. You won't get keys to the city anymore. You'll get the uh, the buzzer. You'll get the push button. Oh, <laughs> maybe an app. <laughs> an, an app to the city. Now, recognition. <laughs> we are heading into the world of AI, but sticking to a grim reality, uh, I want to play the audio from Thursday night. St George Illawarra edging out the West Tigers. Last play, Little goes to Hunt. Here's a chance. Sloan, Lomax hit well by Tupo. Shrugs away from him. Does a full 360. Gives it to Rabalala. What a try! Zach Lomax take a bow. Remarkable work to do a full 360. He was like a man who had a foot nailed to the floor and he still found Ravalawa who forces his way in on one leg. Mitch Jennings, sometimes Dragons fans just need something, anything to cling on to in a season. That moment may as well be it. Yeah, exactly. And I saw you guys 
I heard you guys, sorry, talking uh, talking a bit earlier about you know Zach Lomax and the performance he strung together the last couple. Uh, I think it's got to be the, the silver lining coming out of the end of the season if you can keep the form going because you know you need to pull something from it. There's a lot of injuries that have sort of been going on. We're going to be watching you know Ben Hunt with interest, but he's one guy that it's been a bit of a mystery, hasn't it? What's where he's his form sort of gone and what's happened over the last couple of seasons. So for him to be, I guess, engaged more than any, anything else the way he is and just his level of involvement, uh, I think it's it's got to be encouraging. And I, as much as he didn't set the world on fire uh, for mine, I just thought Benny Hunt, I'd, I'd been pretty critical of his previous two outings there and his lack of involvement or seeming interest in losses there to the Warriors and, and the Sharks. I thought, you know, he ran the ball on three of his first four touches and, he was engaged in the contest. It was a scrappy game. He didn't have a lot of footy in the first half. It was never going to be a game where, you know, your halfback is going to really stand out. But I thought there were some encouraging signs there um, in, in just how invested he did seem in the result. Even got into a blue with Johnny Bateman. There's a lot of things Benny Hunt can do on a footy field, but I wouldn't back him to win a scrap with Johnny Bateman. <laughs> but he was, going to give it, he was going to give it a crack there for a while. So you've got to remember it's the West Tigers. I agree with what Matty said earlier. It was a spoon bowl for a reason, and it reflected that. Uh, but... You know, you've got to find some positives where you can, and I think the Dragons might have been able to leverage a few out of that one. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think you're right with Hunt too. I thought he actually just played football for the first time since the you know all the controversy on the sideline was out there. I think he maybe was able to put it to bed a little bit and have put that behind him and just keep moving forward. We talked about Lomax and we've we've driven that, and I think now it's going to be the test for him is can he be consistent throughout the rest of the year and show that you know he's a good quality footballer at this level. Um, also, the, the challenge is going to be where that number one sits for next year. And, and who can really stand up and, and whether, you know, Sloan is the right person in that space. Uh, that's going to be the question for me on the Dragons. And, yeah, but I think the Tigers obviously have got a lot of questions in their organisation. And I think within both of those, I'd like to see a bit of consistency come out for the rest of the season and hopefully they can build into next year. Yeah, indeed. I heard, I heard Baz talking a little bit earlier, sort of with comparison to, to Matt Duffy. I don't think we're quite there yet with Torrell Sloan. We were still having this conversation with Matt Dufty after, you know, near 100 games and he was 25 years of age and, and everything else. So I don't think we're quite there yet. I tend to agree with, with Matty Russell. I think, you know, I still think Sloan's the long-term number one for this footy club. I think, I didn't think he was treated well last year. I've said it often that, you know, if, if Anthony Griffin had have persisted with him through some of those teething issues he was having in first grade last year, we'd be seeing a better, more consistent version of Tyrell Stone this year, but that set that process back. So we can't be judging him too harshly at just 21 on what he's producing here in a team that's been pretty lackluster and is headed for, you know, was fighting it out for a spoon the other night. So I'm still uh, in the camp of give him some time. Uh, and I still think Sloney is the long-term answer uh, at, at number one for mine. Yeah, I just think it'll be an important season for him next year to really find some structure uh, around playing for Shane Flanagan, who will obviously build, you know, and, and change things a little bit in terms of how they play, whereas it has been drifting along mm. under Anthony Griffin. Uh, and I know Ryan Carr's done quite well in difficult circumstances this year, but, you know, the young guys sort of need some really clear direction in their careers now. So that's really important for Shane Flanagan, and I'm sure he'll bring that. Just quickly, Illawarra Rugby League this afternoon. Uh, Mitch Jennings, Dapto and Collies live on the Illawarra Mercury website. You can watch that live and free thanks to Bar TV where you'll be calling. Uh, 
Cronulla's De La Salle taking on Wests up at Henson Park there this afternoon and to rule against Coromel. What are you uh, expecting from this afternoon's games? Oh boy, oh boy, Depto are the story of the competition. They've really breathed some life into this one, Baz. You know, we've spoken through the year about that, the top four sides and the quality that are there in those usual suspects, that being Collies, West, Steeler, and of course the rule. But Depto, yeah, coming, Blakey Wallace, the coach, said to me, we're coming, put it in big, bold letters last week. I'm loving the, the swagger they're bringing. Uh, and they really want to be, you know, a fly in the ointment in this finals race. They've won three in a row and they're heading back to Depto Showground to take on uh, Collegians. They'll be, unfortunately, without probably their forward leader in Justin Forgan. Don't even get me started on this one, Baz. Judiciary matters. I don't weigh in them too often, but you've got a guy like that get suspended for a lifting tackle that didn't attract the penalty or was put on report in the game. So it's an absurdity that he's missing three games, but that's what we're unfortunately going to see for the Canaries for the rest of the year. But they're going to miss him because, um, you know, Collegians have the most formidable forward rotation in that middle third in the competition. So it's going to be an uphill battle. But with the with the swagger and the, uh, the belief the Canaries are playing with, that giant killing run could continue. So I'm very much looking forward to calling that one with Johnny Pett. Uh, so tune in via the uh, Illawarra Mercury website. Yeah, massive, massive game. IllawarraMercury.com.au. That'll be live and free thanks to Bar TV. Jeno, go well this afternoon with the calling. We're going to go to news time and afterwards we go from Rugby League to Rugby Union. Starting to show my age, Matt Campbell. Still <laughs> one of my favourite albums, Sumo, by the Super Jesus. Well, we're into the last half hour, and we're going to talk a bit of rugby union with Toby Dawson on the line. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, fellas. How are you? Oh, brilliant, mate. It's a fantastic morning here at Wollongong Golf Club. Uh, the Illawarra rugby action is hotting up. Shoalhaven taking on Kiama. Tech Waratahs up against uh, Shamrocks. Unfortunately, Uni, they've had to forfeit. So Avondale have missed a game for the second week running. But Barrel take on Camden in the other game. Just seems like the Shoalhaven show at the moment. Yeah, and I think that's going to continue for another week. Um, it's pretty, you know, pretty tight at the top of the ladder with the top four, and you know, Kiama sitting in third place. And it is a great rivalry today between Shoalies and Kiama, but Shoalies' form is just amazing. Um, and it's Digger Day down there at Shoalhaven at Rugby Park, um, and that'll always see the boys step up. They get a big crowd for Digger Day, of course, with Albatross around the corner. Um, so I can't see Kiama getting up, unfortunately, for the mighty Kiama cows. Um, but yeah, Shamrocks are also looking to belt tech so that they can push themselves into some fourth spot contention. Um, Campbelltown will stay in front regardless of the result there for Shamrocks. But at least if they get the win over tech, they'll be uh, nipping at uh, the heels of the Harlequins. Uh, but yeah, back to that Avondale flu. The third time they've, they've had this happen against them this season. And I know the district isn't happy about this and they're looking at the competition rules because we just want people playing football in the local competition. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the issues with Vikings. Obviously, Uni had been sort of light on for troops as well. Is it a bit of a, a I guess, a reset year for want of a better better way? You know, you, we've come out of that COVID period and rugby just seems to be a bit more, probably more affected by, um, you know, player depth and numbers, uh, you know, compared to compared to other sports. It's a, a bit of a chance to, to realign and, and look at what the competition looks, for, looks like uh, for the future. Yeah, and I think you're bang on right there, Dad. So 
COVID, you know, took a lot of people out. A lot of people had a bit of a break from their rugby seasons and found out that they could go and do other things on their weekends. And, I, you know, I'm part of that crowd. I now follow my kids around. Uh, and happy to say the mighty under-10 West Firecrackers maintained their undefeated run in the netball comp this season. Um, but this year really is a reset. Looking at Vikings, for example, started with just enough for one team and had to pull themselves out of first grade and play in the second grade competition. But now they're seeing, you know, enough players that they're hoping to have a second team in the comp by the end of the year. So I think it will be a rebuild. It is an unfortunate year for a number of clubs. But if you look at the depth and the strength of our juniors, so we've got the we've got Illawarra players in the countryside for the 14s, the 15s and the 16s, which is a really positive sign for Illawarra rugby locally. It's good to see Kaiama on the way up too. I mean, Tech Waratahs have sort of been a club that had some lean years and they really rebuilt well. We've had Barrel have had some, some, some success. Obviously, Avondale are there every year and, and Shoalhaven are an absolute machine down there. So it's good to see Kaiama kind of coming up and, and challenging those teams that are, have been there every year for quite a number of years. And Kiama are one of the you know the oldest clubs in the competition, so it's really important to see those foundational clubs staying strong. Um, you know, we talked earlier this year about Vikings being a bit of a canary in the coal mine, but I think you know looking at Kiama, they had lean years and they're back. Bell had lean years, came back and won it. Um, it's really important to know that clubs locally are taking it seriously. But in a really um, I guess powerful message for rugby locally, our. Uh, District President Tom Ellicott sent a fairly explosive letter to the New South Wales board back in March. Um, and as a result of that, New South Wales rugby supremo Steve O'Brien with the CEO Paul Dorn, who is the Kaima Cow, and the general manager Mark Green are coming down uh, on the 30th to start working on an agreement and a framework to develop the game and grow it back to its strength that it deserves in the region. Yeah, that's it's good to hear that there is being plans being put in place because it's really hard to watch, you know, great clubs like Vikings uh, struggling as they are, and, and hopefully uh, Uni can sort of turn things around very quickly um, from the local to the international scene. We talk about a, a few of the on-field struggles. Uh, the Wallabies are next preparing for New Zealand. Uh, how do we do it against the All Blacks? That's at the MCG next week. Yeah, well, look, I'm just, you know, nice little segue from local international. We've got Blake Shot, uh, Shamrock's boy, and we've also got um, Ned Holloway, Jed Holloway, sorry, um, also a Shamrock. Um, Jed will be capped again, and Shoppy's getting really close to being capped, and I think it, we probably will hopefully see him get some game time down in Melbourne. But on that international stage, last week, the All Blacks versus the Springboks, that was the game of the, game of the weekend. It was amazing. Uh, it was two top-tier nations, but the All Blacks just came out in the first half and monstered the Springboks. Got in front to a point that the Springboks weren't able to close it in the second half. And for the full 80 minutes, it was a fantastic game to watch. And then that one finished, and you flicked over Beauties versus Pumas. And I hate to say it, it looked like going from first grade to fourth grade. You know, there were patches of brilliance by the Wallabies, as they were from the Pumas, but there were moments that both teams just didn't quite look like they knew what they were doing on the test stage. And there was some footage of Eddie Jones um, throwing his headset and whatnot, getting frustrated. And I think that's a reflection that Eddie knows the boys are better, that they can play better, and they're just not doing it. So they, they really need to find that mental toughness to step up for a full 80-minute display of brilliance um, when they're playing in the test arena. And if they can do that against the All Blacks in Melbourne, um, they're in with a shot, but they just can't afford that inconsistency.
Yeah, I don't think Eddie um, mentioned it in the post-game thing. He was talking about like that, you know, little bit of teething issues for the change in the style of play that they're going to uh, play. And it may take some time, but looked like he was fairly invested into it, uh, a little bit more emotional than I'd seen him before in that space. So obviously he could see that they weren't following the game plan. And um, yeah, they're going to be competitive against those two teams. It's, uh, they've got to show a little bit more. But it is exciting. I think it's exciting. They played an exciting change in football. Um, how do you see it? Is it is the change going to be better for the quality of players that we have? I think it will, and you'll see as well um, the number of debutants and you know low capped players that Eddie's getting onto the game um, is really exciting for the future. But it is going to take a little bit of time for them to find their feet at the test level because it is just the next step up. And I think this is where rugby is somewhat unique um, compared to say rugby league in that the, the real battle, the real challenge, the real accolades that you want is your success at international rugby. And you don't get the exposure and the opportunity as much as you do, say, with your super rugby competition. So those low-capped and debutant players are going to take a little while to gel there. Also, the transition in coaching styles, as you said, Matty, it is a very different type of coach. Um, <clears throat> and he's really taking them on a new journey. And it's been interesting, the public discourse around whether Eddie's, you know, brilliance and miracles uh, are not going to happen or whether they are. And I think, you know, it's still really early days. We've got a World Cup. Uh, and in a World Cup year, the rugby championship counts for naught. So I think it was 2015, the Wallabies won the rugby championship and bowed out early in the World Cup. And no one really remembers the uh, rugby championship. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a reflection of the year we've got. We're going to see a lot of uh, playing around and, and tinkering under the hood, so to speak, uh, from all the teams in the rugby championship. But really, when we come to September, when we're over in France, that's the real test of how it's going to go. And Eddie's got a timeline on that. He's going to keep changing combinations, trying to flood new players. And I've still got faith. I haven't lost it yet. <laughs> You've got to have faith, mate, if you've got nothing else. It's really appreciate you having you on today, mate. The local rugby, Shalhaven and Kayama Tech Waratahs at Saunders Oval up against Shamrocks in a crucial game. And Barrel against Camden. We're going to head to a break. We're going to come back talking golf, Commonwealth Games, and, well, the cricket if we have to. Mm. That was nice. Nice and quiet through the ball. Mm, it was. It's a competition help. Oh, well, he might have missed the cut at his first uh, major at the British Open there at Royal Liverpool. But Matt Campbell, that is a moment that Shell Harbour's Travis Smythe will remember forever. He flushed it. Oh, it's unbelievable. And it just puts a smile on your face. I mean, any time anyone can get a hole-in-one, but never mind. A local junior out of the Illawarra putting a hole-in-one on the biggest stage, the Open, um, yeah, phenomenal. And I was lucky enough, I've actually had a little bit of a hit off against uh, Travis here at Wollongong Golf Club. Um, and I was happy to say that he beat me, but just on little a little pitch um, competition we had prior to the start of uh, what a great golfing event they had here at the, uh, at the Wollongong Golf Club. Um, but uh, yeah, phenomenal to see a local junior being on that stage.
Yeah, I mean, and he's gone from he got a taste to live, mm-hmm. and obviously got the good pay packets to go with that. But but to be in that elite company that that Live Golf brought, for, and him to have the opportunity, and then to make the top three at Hong Kong and qualify for the British Open. I mean, he's really knocking on the door in being in that top echelon. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting. It's like any sport. Like, you know, you go out there and you play it and you hit a couple of good shots. You think you could be a, a pro and then you actually see the sort of guys that are on that cusp of making the tour. You see them playing that level above the amateurs they are and then you see those top-tier guys like, you know, your Cam Smiths and all those kind of bits and pieces. And, you know, it's, it's great to see. And it's been a, a fantastic week of sport watching the golf um you know, play out. It's uh, that's that's just a phenomenal part to the end of the week, and uh, yeah, we've been so spoiled this week with sport. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian Harmon, the American, is uh, out in front at minus ten. He's got quite a gap there. He's five shots ahead of Tommy Fleetwood with Jason Day and Minwoo Lee uh, tied for fourth. So they're in the hunt for for top ten honours. They moved a bit yesterday, the Aussies, which is uh, great to see. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting day in play, to be honest. Um, obviously, um, yeah, Harmon's just t- taken off and been ten under, but you know the, the course itself is is challenging. So it's quite easy to drop five shots in that and. Be back into the pack but the Aussies that are coming through really well I mean you know any, anytime you can have two Aussies in the top 10 is, is a great sort of uh, ad, ad occasion from that point of view and you can really see that those guys are on the move right now and playing really good golf Just down the road in Manchester we're praying for a bit of rain now aren't we the Aussies I watched after the Matildas game on Thursday, I flicked over to the Ashes and um, that was just such a a phenomenal day's cricket I didn't stay up all night but watching the highlights the next day um just the way Crawley took it mm. to Australia. We talk about basball and the way that Australia have tried to repel. I thought they've generally been a little bit too defensive in their plans to try and halt basball, but had obviously a measure of success in the first two tests sure. to go 2 nil up. But they looked out of ideas. Yep. Um, and the way England have just ripped the contest apart and now they're just left basically praying for rain or we're going to go to a deciding test. Um, the Aussies... They, they really need to make some key decisions now in terms of going towards the fifth test. Either that, or just hope they sit in the sheds for two yeah, days. Yeah, and and, and yeah, well, I'm the same. I've, I've watched all the way through here, and uh, like I've got to say that I think Basball's really worked. Oh, like everyone's saying, oh, how backfired a little bit from the English team. I think the English team's not as good, anywhere near as good as the Australian lineup. Um, bowling and batting side of it. Um, and they're in the contest. So the fact that they gave themselves a chance in the first two tests when they really shouldn't on paper be anywhere near the Aussies, I believe, I think that they've showed a style that, that, that has been uh, different and given themselves a chance to play. Now, the Aussies have to make a change. Like, it's the reality is they say that, you know, that, that their, the Aussie style of being defensive actually got them over the line. I disagree. I think they were lucky in those games to, to, to be on top. I think I think we need to have a certain part of the group allowed to have a bit more freedom. Um, we have three of the best batsmen in the world and yet to actually really put on some decent numbers. And I just see that they, they feel like they're hamstrung and not playing their normal natural game. And I also see it with the bowling lineup. I, I just... 
I was surprised to see line and length go out the window and and a little bit of like you know leg side come into the play that way. And I mean, Scotty Boland's still sitting there. They, 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 I don't know. It's just a little bit of difference we just don't have at the moment. Yeah, I'll tell you what. And um, Pat Cummins could do with winning a toss too in the final test. He's uh, he's certainly due. We've got one more break in us. Uh, Saturday's in the gong. We'll come back. We're going to touch on the Commonwealth Games. You're listening to Saturday's in the Gong on SEN Track. Oh, yeah, we're nearly at the finish line. Saturday's in the gong, live from the beautiful Wollongong Golf Club. Now, the big news this week, Matt Campbell, from your part of the world too, regional Victoria was to host uh, the Commonwealth Games and the Victorian government have binned it mm. in terms of rising costs. Now, I'm staggered at how it would manage to go from about $2.5 billion to the projected 6 7 potentially even more billion to host it. Now, I understand the issues in terms of logistics and uh, building in, in several regional areas, but as a regional city ourselves here in Wollongong, um, it does have a huge impact on, on regional areas. What, what did you make on it? Is, it? is it financially responsible or is it just a lack of competence and management? Yeah, well, I, think, I think it's financially competent really from that point of view I think it's uh, you know I think it's I would do it if I was in the same situation from the Victorian government point of view the blowout for the, to be that high is ridiculous but I do hear uh, what you talked about in regional um, you know Victoria they would have got great facilities would have impacted the ability for them to be able to grow as a sporting um, you know mecca really for, for what they do um, so I do feel for the for the regional Victorian um, towns it will miss out on opportunities for, for growth but the reality is yeah yeah, like you said, how does it go four billion over what the estimate was originally when the Gold Coast were able to do it for 1.2, 1.3 billion um, earlier and and gave a hundred million dollars back? Um, just seems wild from my point of view that we can get it so wrong. And on the back of uh, plenty of talk about consultants getting an obscene amount of money, um, in the reality of not being able to do really a lot for it. Yeah, we can talk about its cultural relevance, but it is an important part in the four-year cycle for the Olympics for the athletes. This has been Saturdays in the Gong. Hope you enjoy your weekend. The Knights and Dragons 3 at 10 NRLW. Looking forward to that this afternoon.